read to you this morning, and it's one that I think all of you probably know, but I'm going to read it to you and bring out some things that, um, you know, hopefully this will, it will bless you. It's the 23rd Psalm, and it's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That there tells you a whole lot. Um, I was talking to a young lady one day, and I, you know, was talking about that scripture and how it doesn't mean I don't want anything while I'm not supposed to want anything. It means I lack nothing. But it was strange to me that she thought it meant, well, the Lord's my shepherd, so I shouldn't want anything. I shouldn't ask for anything. It delights God to give you the desires of your heart. It delights God to sing over you, to sing peace over you to give you the things that you have need of and the things that he's placed in your heart to fulfill. So the Lord is your shepherd. You can say that the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that takes care of me. I don't lack any good thing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still and restful waters. And I wanted to point this thing out. He restores my soul. And there are times when in everybody's life, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you can be brand new, you can be a Christian for all your life, but there are times when you need your soul renewed, you need your soul restored. And what is your soul? Does anybody remember? Your mind, say that again, Kathleen. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So if you're tired in your mind, if your emotions are, are raw and tired, if, you're, if your will is weak, let God restore that. That's not something, I think we kind of look at those things and think, well, God's going to take care of my spirit and I'll take care of my soul. God will take care of that too. He will restore, he'll make it new. And he will lead you, uh, he will lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it says, I'm going to paraphrase this one. Yes, I'm going to walk through some tough times. Yes, I'm going to see some dark times. Yes, in this world, I'm going to have some tribulation. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear anything. I will fear no evil. And then you ask yourself, why? And it says, for thou art with me. And that's where I wanted to stop right there. God is is with us. He doesn't promise that we won't go through trials and tribulations. I remember thinking it's like I'm going to get saved and everything's going to be rosy and everything's going to be great and I'm going to get everything I want from the word and it doesn't work that way, does it? It is God's desire that we look in the word. It's God's desire that we see who we are in him. It's God's desire to give us those good things. He withholds no good gift from us. But when we do go through trials and temptations and troubles, because we will do that, not because God wants us to, but because sin is in this world and we're just going to have those times, you can be of good cheer because he's overcome the world and you can rest because he said he'll go through it with us. Amen. I just felt like I needed to tell you that today, that you're going to go through some tough times and that's okay. It doesn't mean your faith is weak. But you look at God, and you know that on the other end of this trial, at the other side of this tribulation, you are going to have victory if you don't faint. If you keep your eyes on God, he's going to take you through it. And I'm just telling you, hang in there. Hang on through the tough times. Don't let them beat you. Don't let them get you down because he is with you. He's not on the other side of your trouble. He's walking with you Amen. through that thing. You're going to make it. You're not going to be okay. You're going to be victorious. You're going to be more than a conqueror. You're going to come out, and at the end of this trial, at the end of the test, 
you are going to reign in victory. I promise you. Amen. 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 That was good. Amen. Give your co-pastor a big hand. That was that was awesome. That was awesome. Got your Bibles this morning? Let me see them. Lift them up. Repeat this after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to, I feel like the Lord wants us to do something real quick. Earlier this week, Max lost his sister. And uh, I want us to just pray for him real quick. Father, we just thank you for the life of Max's sister. Lord, I pray that you would comfort him during this time. Lord, be with him and give him peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in week two of our series on Mythbusters. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and some of the promises that are in the Bible. And I want you to know today, I'm excited. I usually write, Becky will tell you, usually it's four to five pages of notes. I've got eight pages. Everybody say amen. <laughs> but I want you to understand why it's important. This is important. The information that I've got to give you today is important stuff. I don't know that it means I'll preach any longer. I just don't want to miss anything. And I want you to have your minds and your hearts open. I'm going to give you, I know I gave you last week some homework to look through uh, chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. I want you to continue to read through that. Allow the Lord to give you some clarity there. But we're going to talk about some more myths today. And we're, we're going to break some of those myths um, Acts 1, chapter 3 through 5, this is our scripture that we're using today as our main scripture. This is Jesus. After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. After he had been crucified and rose from the dead, he came back and spent uh, some weeks with the disciples, and he spoke to them, and, did, and that's what this is talking about. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men, gave many convincing proofs, that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would give me wisdom. Give me clear communication as I speak, Father. Let the words of my mouth, Father, be heard let the spirit that you want us to hear, hear them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we get started here, I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit. We're going to be talking about some feasts today. Everybody like feasts? Anybody like to eat? I can look at some of you and tell, but I mean, you know, we all like to eat, don't we? Well, if you look in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, there were these different holidays, or, which are holy days or feast days, and these days were set aside, usually annually, where the people of Israel would come together and they would remember these different feasts. And these feasts commemorated events. For instance, for us, we would call it July 4th as a holiday where we come together and remember our, our independence. Memorial Day, where we remember the day that so many have given their lives for our freedom. Well, the Israelites had the same thing, and they had very specific things that they would do on these feast days. We're going to talk about three of those today. I think it's going to be very insightful for you. The first one 
Well, let me do this. Here's our first Mythbuster question. This is a good question. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. And many of us think of the Old Testament, that's the, the old way of doing things. It's the old covenant. And some of the times, especially as a Christian or new Christian, you wonder, what part of the Old Testament do I need to keep since we have the New Testament? Anybody ever wonder about that? Is there a whole lot of commandments and different things? You know, I know I wondered, do we just throw the Old Testament away? Some people believe that you just throw the Old Testament away. Is that true? That's a myth. That's our first myth today. That's the big myth today. There are commandments and promises and things in the Old Testament that carry over into the New Testament, okay? So, and, and we talked about the other day in our communion service some of the things that Jesus said about that. But look in, in your scripture, look up on the screen or in your notes. Matthew 5, verse 17, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or get rid of it, or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Everybody say, fulfill them. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with all that. I came to fulfill that. So he's telling us, those rules, those laws, those things are important to you. And I didn't come to abolish them, to get rid of them. I came to fulfill them. What we're going to be talking about today in these different feasts is what Jesus was talking about, about these promises these things that are fulfilled. Jesus also said during the Passover meal, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the New Testament in my blood. There's the Old Testament. We talked the other day, remember Abraham taking Isaac up to the mountain? God said, take your son, your only son, to the mountain and sacrifice him. You remember that? And, and before, he, before he did, the angel said, stay your hand. And yet we see in the New Testament that God fulfilled that through the sacrifice of his own son. We'll be talking about some of these different things today. The first feast that we're going to discuss, and I'm going to give you an overview and then go back and explain them, is the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover. The second feast that we're going to talk about is the Feast of Pentecost. The third feast that we're going to talk about is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Trumpets. So we've got the Passover feast, we've got the Pentecost feast, and then we've got the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's jump into our notes here. Be ready to write. My note takers are going to love today. <laughs> so here's a question that I want you to think about. How are the feast in the Old Testament fulfilled in our modern day? Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law to fulfill it. So let's look at some of these things so that we'll begin to understand how our faith really works. Okay? So the feast of Passover. Let me explain the feast of Passover. You remember back in, how many of you have seen the Ten Commandments before? Come on. Let me see your hands. Charlton Heston, Moses. You know, I've said this before, but I'm going to be disappointed if Moses does not look like Charlton Heston. You know, when Charlton Heston died and went to heaven, I bet he walked in. They go, Moses, oh, oh, that's Charlton Heston. You know, I mean, we just equate Charlton Heston with Moses, don't we? But, but here's the thing. If you remember watching that story and you've read it, and we, we, if you've been in Sunday school class, you remember that. But just as a refresher, here's the Feast of Passover. Before the Israelites could leave the land, remember Pharaoh kept telling them, no, 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 and all the plagues had come. This was the last plague, and this was the plague that the death angel came. And the firstborn died. When this death angel came through, the firstborn would die. And so the only way to avoid the death of that was that the blood of a lamb had to be smeared over the doorpost of your house. So what had happened is the Israelites, the commandment came, the Israelites would kill the lambs and then they would take the blood and they would smear it over the doorposts of their houses. Now what that represents 
is that the blood, the sacrifice, would cover the sins and the death angel would pass over, thus Passover. And so every year, the, the Israelites still continue to celebrate Passover, how death passed over them because the sacrifice, the blood that was over the homes, okay? So now that you understand that, let's talk about that a little bit more. So what is the Passover? Well, here's what it is. If you look up on the screens, I think Becky's got it up here. The Passover lamb, get this, there, there are very strict requirements that the Jewish people have for this Passover ceremony. And here's some of the requirements. The Passover lamb was sacrificed at exactly 9 a.m. At exactly 9 a.m. on Passover, they would sacrifice the lamb. And then at 3 p.m., the, the lamb that was sacrificed was put into the oven. That's when it was taken from its sacrificial position and put into the oven. The sacrifice and the blood symbolized the covering of our sins. That's the Old Testament. Now, how was that fulfilled? How did Jesus fulfill that? I want you to find this is going to be very amazing to some of you. This is how it was fulfilled. Jesus was put on the cross at exactly what time? 9 a.m. Scriptures tell us at exactly 9 a.m., Jesus was nailed to the cross. At exactly 3 p.m., or right before 3 p.m., Jesus died, and then he was put into the tomb. The lamb was sacrificed and put in the oven. Jesus was put into the tomb. His sacrifice, this is where it differs just a little bit. His sacrifice did not just cover our sins. He removes them forever. Isn't that awesome? Somebody give God praise because that's a good thing. And I tell you what, it would be worth your time to go back and study this. It was so amazing to me to see how God fulfilled this. You know, the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of the, the New Testament. The Old Testament tells us about what's going to happen in the New Testament. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill all that. So he sacrificed at 9 a.m., the sacrificial lamb. At 3 p.m., he goes into the tomb. They take him off the cross and take him and put him in the tomb, just like the sacrifice on Passover. And then he rose again. And he not only covers our sins, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. Amen. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He became the sacrificial lamb for us. The Feast of Pentecost. Now I'm going to give you the definition here. The Feast of Pentecost, pente, the word pente in Greek means five. Everybody say five. Coste in Greek means to the tenth. So what that means, if you combined those words, pente and cost, it means 50th. Everybody say 50th. So Pentecost means 50th. It's the 50th day. I want to talk to you a little bit about this. When this happened, what they celebrated, the Feast of Pentecost, is when the Ten Commandments came. And I reread the story, and if you go back in, I encourage you to reread it. You go back into Genesis and reread. This is when they'd gotten out, crossed over the, the sea, the Red Sea, and the sea parted, and God told them to go to Mount Sinai. They go to Mount Sinai. Moses is getting ready to go up, and he's getting the Ten Commandments. This is when Pentecost happened, Ten Commandments. And so they went to this place, and, and there was all these amazing things that began to happen. And I'm going to tell you some of the things that happened here. A cloud descended with loud noise and fire, lightning. I mean, the, the power and the presence of God descended on this mountain with a loud noise and fire. Here's what else happened. God wrote his law on tablets of stone. 
Here's something else. Do you remember the golden calf that the people down in the camp made? You guys remember the story? They made, they made an idol. They made a golden calf. And what happened that day when they did that, Moses came down. As a matter of fact, he was so mad he threw the tablets down. They had to go remake them. They came off the mountain, and 3,000 people died that day. 3,000 people died. As a matter of fact, the earth opened up and swallowed them. How many of you never want that to happen? That just sounded like a bad deal to me. But 3,000 people died on that day because of the golden calf. And here's the last thing that happened is God established the nation of Israel that day. God established the nation of Israel that day. Well, how is this fulfilled in the New Testament? I'm gonna tell you. The Holy Spirit descended with the sound of wind and fire. The Holy Spirit descended, came into the room with the sound of wind and of fire. And here's what else happened. God wrote his law on our hearts. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Not on stone anymore. God wrote his law on our hearts. Here's what else happened that day. In the Old Testament, 3,000 people got what? Got killed. In the New Testament, what happened? 3,000 people got saved on Pentecost. The Bible tells that. This was the first revival meeting. And this day, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome. And also, God established his church on the day of Pentecost. The New Testament church was established on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Not on a mountain, but on the people. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I'm going to come back to this, but let me finish the other feast. I'm going to come back to Pentecost in a minute. So that's, we've talked about the Passover feast. Now we've talked about the Feast of Pentecost. We're going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also called the Feast of Trumpets. This feast happens in the fall of the year. They celebrate this in the fall during the harvest season. And what this feast remembers is the 40 years of them wandering in the desert. You remember after the Ten, Com Ten Commandments were given and they were going to the promised land, Joshua and the disciples went over and said, hey, we can take, or Joshua and the disciples. <laughs> Sounds like a rock group, doesn't it? Joshua and the disciples. But Joshua and, and Caleb went over and the other spies came back and said, we can't do it. And because of their disobedience, they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. And what this feast is about, it reminds them of the wandering before they came to the promised land. It reminds them of getting ready and when they come to the promised land. So it, it reminds them of all that time in the wilderness. This is the period after the law and the time of getting into the promised land. So here's what the Old Testament talks about. They were wandering and living in temporary huts because they were wandering in the desert. They, they lived in temporary, they didn't have places to live. They were just living in tents. They also celebrate the fact that they were brought to their final home to Israel. That's what this feast celebrates. They celebrated the feast during the harvest season, during a time of harvest. And it's also called the Feast of Trumpets. So how is this fulfilled in the New Testament? This is yet to be fulfilled. This is revelation. This is what's coming. This is what's coming. We are living on this earth, and this earth is our temporary home. It's not our final resting place. This earth is our temporary home. We will be brought to our final home, which is heaven. 
The Bible tells us that in the last days there'll be a great outpouring of the Spirit on the earth and there will be a great final harvest of lives, of souls, before Jesus returns. And I want to speak on that for a minute. Right now, it's not talked about a whole lot. There are massive revivals going on around the world right now that we don't hear about very often. You know, Christianity in the United States is not growing as, as fast as it is in other places around the world. There are revivals going on. Dave's gonna love this. Right now in China, today, there'll be 30,000 new converts today. Every day, 30,000 people just in China come to the Lord. Start doing the math on that deal. God is moving and God is doing and there's a great harvest of souls. Right now, Christianity is growing three times faster than Islam. Christianity is growing three times faster than Islam around the world. The Bible tells us in Revelation that there will be a trumpet sound when Jesus returns. Listen to this scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That one's yet to be fulfilled. But I want you to imagine, this is what the scripture teaches us, that right now, Jesus is in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus told the disciples that nobody knows, including himself, the day that the Lord's going to send him back. But I want you to just imagine that Jesus is in heaven right now, sitting at the right hand going, Dad, is today the day? Not yet. Today, Dad, not yet. Today, not yet. Why? Because more people are getting saved. Let's get some more in here. Let's get some more in here. But there's gonna come a day. Just like these other feasts have been fulfilled, there's gonna come a day when God looks at him and gives him the nod and says, today's the day. It's gonna happen. And, and Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus is gonna be on a white horse and he's going to mount up and he's going to come down and there's going to be a trumpet call. And whenever you hear a trumpet, you better get ready because about, you're about to head out. <laughs> and the Bible tells us the dead in Christ will rise. And those of us that are still alive are going to be caught up in the clouds in the air. We're going to take off. We're going to look like Superman flying around. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. That is all coming, folks. So what does this all mean? Well, here's where we are. We understand the Passover. We all get the Passover. The Passover is salvation. The Passover is the sacrifice that's been paid that covers our sin. You get that? Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the sacrifice. Christianity, that's what we're about. Jesus paid the price for our sins. When we receive him, we are saved. Our sins are cast away. We also typically understand, many of you didn't know this is what it was called, but you understand now the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of the Trumpets. You get it. One day he's going to come back. We get that. That's one of the tenets of our faith is Jesus is coming back. The hang-up is in the one in the middle, the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost. There are Christians all around the world right now that get the beginning, they get the end, but they have a hard time with the one in the middle. They have the hard time with the one in the middle. And I want to clear this up for you today. Some of you today for the first time, are y'all getting hot or is it just my preaching? It's so good. Are you a little warm? Somebody, would y'all turn the AC down, Clint? Come on, give Clint a hand. Look at him. 
looks so nice. See, they mess with me, and then I get the microphone. That's, that's the awesome thing about my deacons. <laughs> Listen to this. I'm going to bring clarity right now. You're going to understand. When you get done today, you're going to get Pentecost, guys. You're going to get it. You're going to understand what it's all about. On the day that Pentecost happened in the New Testament, even people who were around didn't understand what was going on. Read Acts 2. Read Acts 2 and look at it and see what the people that saw what was going on, what they were saying. Matter of fact, some of the people saw all these disciples, all these people filled with the Holy Spirit, and they said, you're drunk. It was 9 in the morning. And they said, these guys are drunk. Hmm. Acts 2 verse 12 says this, the people were looking around, they were amazed and they were perplexed and they asked each other, what does this mean? What does this mean? What are we seeing? What does this mean? And you know what? There are many of us today that are still saying, what does Pentecost mean? Anybody in here? What does it mean? Now you're going to know what it means. I'm going to give you three blanks that are going to fill in and you're going to have a clear understanding of what Pentecost means today. Here's number one on your notes. Look at that. He, the Holy Spirit, empowers me to live righteously. Pentecost, God coming, the Holy Spirit coming in you empowers you to live righteously. God's Holy Spirit will live in you. He is in us. Acts 2.17 says this. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. You're going to see things the way, what that means, you're going to see things the way God sees them. His spirit is going to come on you, and you're going to see things the way that God sees them. But he's not only going to do that, he's going to live inside you and empower you to live righteously. Righteousness, Trisha talked about it a minute ago, righteousness is right standing with God, doing things the way God does them. God's way of living is righteous living. God's way of doing and being right. Some of you might be struggling just getting by day to day. Anybody? Sometimes it's hard to just get through the day, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to, you, you know, you can't even think about tomorrow. You're just trying to figure out how you're going to get by today. How are you going to make it? But I want you to understand something. This Christianity thing to some of you may be wearing you out. You know, God, I gave you my heart and the devil is beating me up. Anybody? I know some of you. You've said, all right, God, I'm going to do things your way, and you feel like you're getting beat up. Here's the good news. God's Spirit frees us and removes us from change and at chains, and even as the Holy Spirit comes in here, he changes our desires. How many of you, when you got saved, some of the things that were hard for you before, when the Holy Spirit came in your life, you just didn't have a desire to do them anymore? You remember that? You remember those days where, where sometimes you look back and you realize you just didn't want to do that stuff anymore. It wasn't fun anymore. It didn't taste good anymore. You know what I mean? I remember that. I remember there's some things I used to like do before, but when I got saved, when the Holy Spirit came in my life, I just didn't want to do them anymore. Because God was living in me and he was empowering me to not be that way. I call it going from the got to to the get to. 
There's sometimes in many Christians that have not allowed the Holy Spirit, have not received the Holy Spirit into their hearts, and they're saved, but they're not really anything beyond that, and they're just walking around, and they're not empowered with the Holy Spirit living in them. And so they serve God sometimes out of fear, sometimes out of religious duty, but, but there's a got to in their life. They've got to go to church. They don't really want to, but they've got to. But when the Lord is living inside of you, when the Holy Spirit is in you, you get to. You get to. Do you understand me? You get to. Romans 8 9 says this. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. Listen to this. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Read that again. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If he's talking to Christians here. The Spirit of God lives in you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you're not living according to the sinful nature. You're living according to the Spirit of God that's in you. We need God's Spirit in us to change us from the inside out. You know, how many of you have children or grandchildren? Let me see your hands. When when they're very young, do you negotiate? (laughs) Do you? Do you, do, do you make the rules or do the kids make the rules? Come on, let me, you know, come on. Some of the grandparents are looking at the, you know, <laughs> come on, y'all looking around. Here's the deal. Listen to this right here. There's a time in the lives of kids that they have to do things because you tell them to. But it's better if they get to the point that they want to do things you ask them to do, isn't it? Because there's going to come a time that they're in charge of their own lives. Right now, some of them come to church because they got to, because you get them up in the morning and say, we're going to church. I don't want to. You're going anyway. How much better is it when they fall in love with Jesus and they get to come? I love hearing stories of parents who come to me and say, I'm here today because my child wanted to go to the kids' service. There are people that have joined this church because their kids compelled them to come, because the kids get to come, not got to come. And that only happens individually when we allow the Lord to come in here and begin to work on our lives. When the Holy Spirit is filling us up so much, we want, we're compelled to be with each other. We're compelled to follow the Lord. We get to. Here's the second thing I want to talk about. Number two, your blanks. The Holy Spirit living in us empowers me or you to live supernaturally. He empowers us to live supernaturally. Listen to this. God has always intended his children to not, to not only have to operate by what we understand, but also to operate in what we don't understand and what we cannot do. We need God, listen to me. We need God to move in signs and wonders. We need an encounter with the real God. No man can do this. There are times we need a powerful God to do miracles in our lives. But some people Even denominations have packaged that in such a way that God moving is weird, but that's not true. Acts 2.19 says this, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, where God shows up and does miracles, heals marriages, restores lost children, removes an addiction. And look at this first part of this sentence, I will show wonders. What that basically means in layman's terms is when we wonder how God did something. Because it's beyond our understanding. And here's the point, guys. When God does a miracle, you don't have to try to convince somebody that he's real. 
when God does a miracle, you don't have to talk somebody into faith. You know, when Jesus was walking around and he was healing people, you think, you know, there were a lot of people going, hey, I get it. Not because of all these great words. I get the fact that, that he laid hands on somebody and they rose, they rose from the dead. I get that he spoke a word and this happened. He, you know, these miracles happened. It was the same with the disciples when they began to go and speak. And let me tell you what, that is very convincing. It's very convincing when somebody comes down in a wheelchair and gets up and walks out. Right? Do you get that? And I don't know about you, but I don't want a God that's just a good idea. I want a God that's alive and well and who operates in the supernatural. Do you understand that? We need a God that does miracles, not a God that's a good idea. We need a real God. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 4 through 5 says this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Now understand something. This is the Apostle Paul, who by the way was brilliant. He wrote most of the New Testament. This is an extremely smart man. So now that you understand that, listen to this statement. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Do you get that? Paul said, I'm not going to try to talk you into anything. It's the Spirit's power when they saw miracles and they saw God begin to move and lives begin to change that they began to realize there's more to this than just a good philosophy. Christianity is not a philosophy, guys. It's about a relationship with God. And it's about the power of a real God. I want, I want to give you an illustration of this. I know because of my background, I relate to so many of you because I grew, I grew up in a very conservative evangelical home where the Holy Spirit was you know, and we would go to my, my grandmother's church and, you know, it was almost like going to a football game. You never really knew what was going to happen, but it was going to be something, you know, right? Any of you remember that? And, and I remember being nervous, but I was also very curious because I wanted to know what was going on because there were times that the supernatural would happen, that God would do something more than I could understand, that wonders would happen. And I want to tell you about something that happened to me two weeks ago. About 13 years ago, I had some challenges that came up in my life that were, it was the hardest time of my life. And some people wounded me deeply. And I can tell you right now, there's only one person in this world that knows everything that's happened because I told her everything, and that was Trish. And how my heart had been broken and I'd been crushed. I'd been absolutely, unequivocally crushed. Hurt by people, more than most of you can imagine. And I buried it. I buried it in my heart. I never allowed God to really come in. I, 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 I talked to him about different things. I, I wanted him to get involved, but I never really deal with it. And, and I grew up where you play hurt. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You deal with it. It happened, you deal with it. And I lived that way for years. And I want you to understand, we're down at this pastor's conference, and, and the first day of the pastor's conference, uh, Pat and Brooke Butcher, who are close, close friends of ours that are pastor church in Kentucky, great church in Kentucky, rural Kentucky, uh, Brooke, his wife, came up to me and said, we were sitting in the middle of a session, and during a break, she looked over at me and she said, Chris, I need to talk to you. I feel like God really, God wants to speak to you. We really need to pray for you. This is in the middle of the session. I'm like, all right, Brooke, whatever, you know, I'm cool with that. 
and, and we weren't able to meet. It didn't work out. And then the next day came, and, and it didn't work out. Well, we stayed the, the last day for a leadership conference, and, and we're getting ready to check out of the hotel. We're about to walk out of the hotel. Now, I want you to understand something. We're in the Gaylord Texan which is a beautiful hotel in Grapevine. People everywhere. Big, huge hotel, big lobby. And, and we walk in there, and I walk into the lobby. I'm getting ready to check out. I'm by myself, and I look up, and there's Brooke standing right in the middle of the, the hallway to walk outside. And she sees me, and I see her, and she goes, come here, come here, come here. I said, what? And Pat, her husband, was there. She said, we got to pray. We need to pray right now. Y'all, we're in the lobby, Okay. And she goes, but let's step over here and pray. And I was like, whew, good. And so we stepped over into the Hertz rent-a-car booth. Okay? It's a very holy place, the Hertz rent-a-car booth. And we step over there, but nobody was there. It was on, but nobody was there. And so we step into the side of the booth, and we begin to pray. In the middle of the Gaylord Texan. And she begins to weep. And lays her hands on me, and Pat's standing there, and she begins to pray. And she begins to reveal the pain that happened to me 13 years ago in detail. And she's weeping with the heart of God. This says, Chris, this isn't okay. She looks at me and she goes, God's telling you this is not okay what happened to you. And he wants to heal you. And he's going to heal you. In the middle of the Gaylord Texan. Because God's not okay with us being hurt. And God wants us to be free. That's my God. That's my God. That's the supernatural. It wasn't crazy. It was only God. <laughs> Me, God, Trish, Holy Spirit, Jesus knew what was going on. And God sends this little lady from Kentucky to pray for me to, to help get me healed. That's my God. So if you're wondering if Pastor Chris believes in the supernatural, absolutely. I believe in the supernatural because it was personal and God showed up. And I've always believed that, but he's amazing. And he loves us. And so what I want you to understand today is that we serve a God that's supernatural. And here's the point. We need Pentecost in our lives. We need the power of God in our lives. It's not just a good idea. We need God to speak through us and touch lives and heal people. Amen? Do you get that? It's not about makeup, tambourines, and snakes. <laughs> right? Do you get it? It's about the power of God being real in our lives and God showing up and showing out and loving us and changing us. And here's the final thing about the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to fulfill his mission. The Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill his mission. And I want you to understand today, the real heart of the empowerment or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now listen to me, and this is very important for some of you to understand. The Holy Spirit does not come into our lives and bring us gifts and gives us abilities and comforts us for our own benefit. You know, I know people that I grew up around people. I've watched people do this my whole life, that there'd be a revival at this church and they'd run over to this church. And the reason they would run over to that church is because they want to get a Holy Spirit goosebump. Come on. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. 
And it's all about what happened today in service. It's all about, you know, did God do this or did God do that? Or was there a message in tongues? Or was there this, that, and the other thing? And you know what? All those things are important. But instead of seeking the God who gives the gifts, they seek the gifts and the manifestation of them. Y'all know what I'm talking about, some of you that are spiritual. You understand what I'm saying. And it's all about filling these Holy Spirit goosebumps. And I want you to understand, that is absolutely wrong. That is a byproduct. That is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Listen to me. The real heart or indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives is so that we can fulfill the mission. Listen to me. We need power to bring the message to a messed up, confused, and dying world. And I put this in really big print because when I was writing this the other day, I began to weep because the power of God spoke to me. He doesn't give us the Holy Spirit so we can feel good about it. He gives us the Holy Spirit because there are people dying everywhere. And the power that comes in us, yes, it edifies us and gives us strength. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be what? My witnesses. You will die for me. You'll be my witnesses. And he empowers us and gives us gifts and gives abilities because God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. And Jesus said, it's good that I go away because I'm going to send another and that other's going to come in and he's going to give you wisdom and he's going to give you power to fulfill the mission. That's it. The Holy Spirit comes inside us to empower us to fulfill the mission that God's called us to do. And I want you to understand something today. The people in our community, there are people in this church right now that don't need some religious philosophy. They don't need some made-up theory. They need the power of God to do a miracle in their lives. Do you understand that? Their marriages are falling apart. Their kids are lost. Their bodies are broken. And they need the Jesus that does that, not an idea. And the Holy Spirit comes to empower us. And I want you to understand the amazing thing about that. He gives us power to be his witnesses. When people go, look at what you did, you say, no, I didn't do anything. God healed them. See, I understood clearly the other day when Brooke was speaking into my life, God wants me to be free because he loves me, but it also frees me up to be a witness too. Do you understand that? He didn't free me just for me, even though he loves me, and I know that, and I know Jesus died for me, but now I'm more free to help more people. Do you get that? Do you understand? And some of you have bought into the fact that it's okay for you to live in pain, that it's okay for you to be broken, it's okay to hide some of these sins in your life because, you know, I'll just get by. And that's not what God wants for your life. Jesus said, I've come to set you free. 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 And I died and I've gone away and I've sent the Holy Spirit so you'll be witnesses. And power is going to come into your life so that you can live righteously, so the supernatural can flow through you. Not crazy, God. You know, I understand when I lay hands on somebody, I've seen people get healed, I've seen different things happen. I expect that to happen in our church. Why? Because God's real and He loves people. If crazy happens, I'll deal with crazy. But when the reality of God begins to move and touch hearts and change lives and people get saved, I want to tell you the greatest miracle of all is what? Salvation. The greatest miracle of all, Jesus died so that people could be saved, set free, eventually go to heaven. That's the greatest miracle of all is a changed life. Some of you are miracles in this room. You are jacked up. Come on, before Jesus came along. And then he came into your life and he changed you, didn't he? 
And you were not near as jacked up as you used to be because we're all a work in progress, amen? Do you get this? Do you understand? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus talking out of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Acts 1.8 says this, Jesus, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, and Dave gave me some good stuff on that this week, and I'm going to talk about that next week. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The real sign that the Holy Spirit is present in any church is that people are being saved and set free and God is moving. I also believe when the Holy Spirit is resident in in a church that we'll see signs and miracles and wonders. Amen? And I want you to know there's some of you going, oh, I remember back in the old days when this, that, and the other happened. Look, we got to start from where we are, guys. Have you ever tried to drive a car looking in the rearview mirror? Some of you have tried to drive a car putting makeup on. Oh, I said it right then. (laughs) God's not done. He still wants to save. He still wants to set free. He still wants to heal. And the Holy Spirit is available to us to live in us. And I want you to understand that. Some of you that I know, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, you get nervous. You understand salvation. You understand he's coming back. But this gifting, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit scares you. There's nothing strange about it. It's what he intended. It's what he intended. Acts 2, 21 says this, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Listen to this. I want you to write this down. I didn't get it in the notes, and I wish I would have. Pentecost is about empowering believers with supernatural ability to fulfill an important mission. Pentecost is about empowering believers with supernatural ability to fulfill an important mission mission so here's what you need to do receive passover receive salvation believe in the tabernacle he is coming back and receive pentecost in your lives acts 2 38 and 39 says this peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Here's your last blank. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Next week, I'm gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about that. I'm gonna pray with many of you. We're gonna pray that God will fill your hearts and you'll be able to receive his presence in your lives. And stir that power up in you for freedom, for peace. I want you to read this week 1 Corinthians. Read it if you haven't read it yet. Homework. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, and 1 Corinthians 14. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you.
that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And he came to fulfill the feast. Lord, he came into our lives. He's real. And he fulfilled all these promises in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would help, that this wind would come into our lives and sweep away all these misconceptions and misperceptions. And Lord, I know there are people out here today that are maybe for the first time truly understand why the Holy Spirit was sent. And maybe they're struggling with their, their own thoughts, their own ideas of what that means. But, but Lord, it's just very simple. You came to empower us, to live in us, that we would be your witnesses, to free us, <laughs> to give us hope, to give us life. And Father, I pray that as we draw closer to you and you begin to soften our hearts and help us to understand that, Lord, we would receive this gift that you've given us, that the Holy Spirit would come into our lives and move in us. If you're here today, and I've talked about the Passover lamb, I've talked about Jesus coming and paying the price for your sin. Not that he covers your sin, he removes your sin. It's gone. Some of you have maybe walked away from the Lord. You're a Christian, but you, you turn your back on him and you've been living like the world and it's not worked out. And you wanna rededicate your life to him. Today's your day. Some of you are here and you, you've never received Jesus as your savior. But you understand today why he died. Today's your day. If you're here today, and you want the Holy Spirit to move in your life, you wanna receive that gift, today's your day. If you've got sickness in your body, if you're struggling with pain, if you're struggling with something in your past, hey, I get it. Today is your day to be free. As the worship team continues to pray, I want the prayer partners to come forward. Whatever your need is, Whatever your challenge is, I want you to come forward today and we're gonna pray for you, amen. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord forever. I will trust i
in time of need. I will bless the Lord forever. I will trust Him at all times. Oh, he has made me glad and I'll say of the Lord, you are my strength, my shield, my portion, deliverer, my shelter, strong tower, my very prayer. How he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost. How he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up, turned me around. How he set my feet on solid ground and makes me. Hallelujah, thank you Jesus, Lord you're worthy of all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the How he healed me to the end. 
I love so much about the Lord is that He loves us so much. That He loves us so much. You know, I, so I was getting ready this morning to come in. I pulled up and pulled up CNN on their website, and on the front page in the middle, big ad says, Why are Christians so mean? You know, and I've told you to read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 13 is obviously in the middle of those three, right? My mathematicians, you got that figured out? Paul says, all the power in the world, whether I speak with men, tongues of men and angels, prophesy all the different gifts, if I've got all that in spades, I'm summarizing. <laughs> but I don't have love, I'm nothing. You know, the greatest characteristic of God living in your heart is that you love people and you love each other. And the love of God is flowing out of you. Now, I don't know about you, but I want more of that in my life. I want the Spirit of God flowing through me all the time. I want Him keeping me clean. I want Him empowering me. I want the love of God to be in my heart. 
Amen. Everybody put your hands on your heart this morning. We're going to pray this together. Father, I thank you for today. Speak to me, Lord. Heal me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love. Help me to be your hands and your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. As we leave today, there's still folks praying. Got people dealing with some real challenges. We want to be honoring of what they're dealing with. You can stay in here and pray or you can exit. Make sure you're at life groups tonight. We'll see you next week. God bless you.